The True Tone Lounge podcast features audio-only versions of our video interviews. To view those, please visit truetonelounge.com or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash truetonefx. Well, let's t- let's talk gear a little bit. Okay. So you've got this nice telly. Tell us about yeah. this. Te- is it a fifty three? It is a fifty three, and uh, and I should clarify. There's a it's a long story with this guitar. Um, the shortest version that I can give is that um, an old man pulled this guitar out uh, from his bed and gave it to my dad. When my dad moved here. Uh, everything that was metal on it was rusted and destroyed, like unusable. The guitar wasn't playable, neck was bowed, all this stuff. Um, Dad had a luthier guy here in town slowly start trying to put it back together um, uh, over time, and the guy disappeared with the guitar, moved from town, just vanished. And uh, 15 or 20 years later, the guy called my dad's studio and was like, hey, so-and-so, I've had your guitar done. I I moved and took his job, and I've had your guitar done for 15 years. Tell me where to send it, and I'll send it. So he sends it, ships it to us, and uh, we pulled it out of the box, and my dad just is like, that's not my guitar. Like, what do you mean? He's like, that's not, the color's not right, it's not my guitar. I'm like, it's been a long time, like, you know, maybe. And I was a kid when that all happened, so I didn't know. I could weigh no opinion on it. Long story short, man, we've never been able to get the guy back on the phone again since he shipped us this guitar. And uh, he shipped it uh, basically as it is now, except with no electron. There were no strings on it, and there were no electronics in it. And there was no serial plate with a serial number. Mm -hmm. Uh, None of the hardware, you know. So... uh, I kind of took it as my pet project, and I, I took it to, 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 to George Gruen and to Joe Glazer, and both of them kind of took it apart at the time and looked at it, and, you know, we know for sure it is a 53 neck and a 53 body. Whether or not they belonged together originally, my personal opinion is that, because this guy was guitar teching for, like, the Rolling Stones and Lenny Kravitz. My personal opinion is that he probably sold the guitar that was my father's. Guilt probably hit him, and somehow he was able to acquire a neck and body, put them back together, and ship it. And that helped his conscience enough that that was the deal. And then he wouldn't answer the phone. And then he wouldn't answer the phone, yeah. Uh, so um, at the time, so I had, I had Joe put it together. I bought a set of Lindy Fraylin pickups at the time um, and had him put it up, and the thing just played like a dog. It hit, there's no telling how long it had been without strings on it. You know, the neck would move. It was not enjoyable to play. It was not fun. It wouldn't hold tune, and I, I would have to take it back to him constantly. And I actually had it out on the road. I was playing with Josh at the time and had it on the road as my, like, backup guitar in case, you know, something went wrong, and... and um, but I would always play it and try, just try to, you know, and we'd go back and adjust it. And one day, I picked it up out on the road one day. And I was like, man, this thing's playing good. And it was like it had just decided to settle, like the neck petrified. And, I mean, that was almost 10 years ago now. And I don't think I've ever had it set up since then. It's I've, It hasn't had to go back to the shop. It's... That it's it's now it has become my absolute like 
truest guitar. It's always in tune. It always stays intonated. The neck never moves during the seasons. And uh, so eventually, as it, as, I, as it became more and more of a tool that I was using all the time, I started researching old pickups and eventually kind of settled on what is in here now in the bridge. It's still the, the, the Fralin neck pickup. This is an old 50s Fender lap steel pickup that I, I read about. So, you know, it's not totally uncommon. Uh, some tele players do it. Um, uh, uh, Don from uh, uh, Buck Owens' band was kind of one of the early adopters of that thing. Because in the, in the 50s and Fender's lap steels were all six strings and it was the same pickup as the Telecaster, right. essentially, but wound a little different. Yeah. And um, it's very microphonic. Uh, we were talking about that earlier. Uh, you know, it, it, you, can, you can hear everything it makes and it's, uh, it's uh, you ca almost can't play the guitar live now because it's so microphonic. If you step on an overdrive pedal or something, it'll just howl. But for studio, I mean, I, this is a guitar that I play every single day on you know wherever I'm working or whatever it's one of the guitars that's always on my back you know where I go and and um and uh always use it you know every single every single day you can't can't really overstate that really for me um it's home base the lap steel you know pickup in the bridge that's actually what's in uh, Keith Richards number one guitar macabre yeah that has that has a late 60s lap steel pickup in it and that actually came directly from Pierre who's his tech who's his I guy yeah. okay yes yeah. so that's um yeah and there's there's been plenty of other adopters uh you know people GE Smith is another one that's done GE Smith and, and in here in Nashville people might know you know guys like Jed Hughes and stuff that have played yeah. and you know um you know, a couple of Keith, Jed actually, a couple of Keith Urban's tellies are the same way because Jed kind of hipped him to that sort of thing. But it's a really good thing. It's a different, um, there's a lot of attack, but there's still bottom, you know, and um, um, it's been a great, it's been a great pickup for me. And, uh, you know, I hope it doesn't ever like die on me or, you know, go open as they say, you know, but I'm, when that day comes, if this pickup ever goes, I'm going to, I don't know what I'll do. <laughs> there, there are guys that can, you know, fix them if yeah. they, if they take the time. To, they can to, really like yeah. rewind yeah. it properly. Yeah, well, they can that's... they can fix the spots where it's actually come undone. Really? If they if if you pay them enough. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it'd probably be worth it yeah. in this case because yeah. I just I'll be I'll be lost, you know. Well, let's let's uh, let's hear a clip of you uh, of you playing the guitar. Oh yeah 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 sure so um and I'll tap on it uh to, you know kind of show you how microphonic it is too but um this is just clean to the amp. You can see it's pretty microphonic there, but nice. Of, uh, picks and strings do you use? Uh, I play Diodario 11s on everything um, and uh, just all across the board every guitar I play um, because the different to me the different string tension on the guitars is part of what makes me play a little different you know they inspire me to play different ways and um, I know guys some guys will gauge up on you know shorter scale necks and stuff uh, I like I like that they're all they all feel a little different to me. That's kind of the magic of them all. But I, so I play 11s across the board. M mostly that's the reason I upped from tens is, is just I feel like the tuning's a little more stable with 11s, and 
you know, doing the studio thing every day, the tuning is just so, it can't be overstated how important that is, man. And, um, yeah, I just felt like they're, they're, the 11s were a little more stable on the tuning end. And, uh, and, and so I, I went to that maybe five years ago or so, kind of moved up, and it, it was awful for about two weeks, you know, just trying to bend and, uh, uh, you know. Uh, but you, once you, once you adapt, it's, it's cool. And I don't, I don't know that, I don't feel any desire to go heavier, but I, I really like the 11s. And for picks, um, I, man, I change a lot. It's actually, you can tell, I brought this little pick, I have this little pick box that sits next to me everywhere I go. And I would say my, my standard is the, like a Tortex 1.14, uh, similar, you know, uh, I use that a lot. Um, but I, I swap picks a lot, like based on different sounds, uh, you know, that I'm going for. Sometimes if you, if you need to do a, like a strummy electric part, sometimes a thinner pick is, is better for that. You know, the give in it is, is a little bit more of the sound you, you touch can be a little bit lighter and things like that. So I swap, you know, I've got, you know, 1.0s and I also, and then if you're playing acoustic, it's a whole different thing. I really love these Dunlop, these Ultex picks for acoustic, same gauge, 1.14, mm-hmm. but there's a huge tonal difference between the Tortex and the Ultex to right. me. And, and, uh, and I even have some of those, uh, some of the more expensive, like I've got some blue chip picks and I've got felt picks. Um, I, I, I mix it up a lot. It's the easiest and cheapest way to really, you know, kind of fine tune your sound. You know, man, the, the pick, it makes such a big difference. It's such a big difference, man. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if I, you know, these 1.14s are what are always kind of rattling around in my pocket for sure. You know, if okay. I'm playing a solo or something, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the thing. It's, it's, the pick doesn't give too much, but it doesn't feel like I'm holding up a quarter, you know, because the string's already moving. It's a moving target. <laughs> so you, you're yeah. trying to play, you know, I, I don't really want to be battling two things moving at once. But yeah, these these picks have always been in my guy. And these are what my dad used. That's why I started playing with this pick, because this is what my dad always played. And they were always everywhere. You know, guitar players know these yeah. are in your dryer. They're in, you know, they're on your nightstand. Yeah. So if I was tinkering around at his place and wanted a pick, I just went to his room by his nightstand and Buy some quarters would be some of these. Yeah. That's what I always played. Well, here, let's hear a clip of you play the guitar, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about another one. Okay, cool.
Very cool. So we just heard a clip of you playing uh, this Les Paul. So tell us a little bit about this guitar. Yeah. Uh, so this is, I always have to look because I can never remember. Uh, this is a, just, a, it's a 2008. Um, a good friend of mine that was an engineer here in Nashville for years had this guitar. He played guitar some too, good, good guitar player, it, but did more of engineering. And, and um, this, he always had this guitar and I'd always told him like, man, if you, you ever want to sell a guitar, you know, let me know. And because uh, it's uh, it's chambered, you picked this up earlier. It, it's, it's it's chambered, and so it's not heavy for Les Pauls. Mm -hmm. And you know, for any guitar, but specifically for Gibsons, the test for me, you know, when I go buy a room or something, I just kind of grab the low string, and and if that has some snap to it and rings, it's to me that okay, that's what I'm after, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, this guitar always had that, you know. And uh, he caught, he'd moved away, moved to New Orleans, and he. Said, he called me up and said, hey, I'm going to sell that guitar. Do you still want it? I said, yes. Send it to me, you know, figured out. And um, it was it's great guitar, man. And again, one of those pieces that, um, you know, on paper, there's there's not necessarily anything special about it. It's, uh, like I said, it's, a, it's not a vintage guitar. It's not even a custom shop, you know, instrument or anything. It just is a good one, you know, uh, and it, it rings... Uh, just acoustically, you know, it's got a good chime to it. And um, it plays even, always holds tunes, just a good, you know, workhorse guitar. So um, when I got it, kind of one thing I do kind of across the board to Gibson guitars if they're newer is, is I do kind of what a lot of people refer to as the 50s wiring where we replace the pots, make sure there's 500K pots in there, put like period correct capacitors and that kind of stuff. And the way the volume and tone stuff all interact is opens right. up and everything. So I, I had um, our good friend Jeff Sin, we all know, he does a lot of that stuff for me and he did the 50s wiring and we put Fralins in here. Um, uh, big fan of those pickups. I don't have any kind of endorsement deal or anything with Lindy Fralin. I just, I've, I've been a fan of his pickups. Uh, you know, I, I go buy them at the store. You know, mm -hmm. I think they're great. And um, uh, had those in there and then a similar story to the telly when I realized how much I was playing this guitar and, and how comfortable I was with it, and, and you know, I started kind of researching pickups and like wondering if I should do a similar route with that, where I try to find a vintage set of pick a real old set of pickups, and um, started hunting PAFs and can be tricky and they can be expensive, but I was able to find um, an original PAF for the bridge here. And um, I, when I had it put in, I just used the cover from the Fralin so that they look, you know, they look similar. And, um, you know, that the guitar was already great, and then that just, you know, added a little bit of special thing, you know. And <clears throat> on a side note, I, I, you know, I, I got to say, you know, anybody watching it, I feel like I got extremely lucky in both of these pickup deals because... I have played plenty of old pickups that are not good. You know, just because it's an old vintage pickup does not mean it's a good one, you know? And right. they can have stuff, uh, you know, I made both of the guys, well, both times when I bought these pickups, they were online, and I made them, you know, send me pictures with the readout to see how hot the pickup, make sure the pickup was still active, you know? Because mm -hmm. uh, you hear horror stories of guys getting dead pickups sent to them that they paid, you know, $1,000 for whatever. And, um... But even then, man, even if the output is correct, it can still just be a jive pickup, man. There's, it's just like guitar, anything. There are duds, man. There are 
plenty of duds. Absolutely. Especially when you're talking about something that was handmade a long time ago. I mean, there was room for error when it was being made. And then who knows what kind of climate or situation it, it could have been kept in extreme moisture situations. And so, you know, be careful if you ever, you know, if you're doing that sort of thing, I'd tell anybody, you know, be careful, you know, I'm sure you would too, you know, try to do, but I've got lucky with both of these situations. It, I got what I, you know, what I asked for and what I was hunting. And, and um, so it's been a, been a great, great pickup in this guitar. And, and, and I love the neck pickup too. Um, the Fralin stuff is great. I got plenty of guitars with those pickups in there too. So what model Fralin pickup is that in the neck? This is his pure PAF. Okay. Um, and that's what the set was. Um, and I, I'm a big fan um, uh, in general. And the, with my, uh, it's his pure PF, uh, or I love those humbuckers. Mm -hmm. And um, I love any of his vintage uh, single coil line. Um, I personally, and this is just a it's total of preference thing, I don't like hot pickups. Uh, we talked about the Tele being microphonic. To me, the lower output, the, the better. Uh, uh, the pickup because um, I can always do things to gain it up and um, particularly if you've ever played in the humbuckers particularly if you've ever played an old Gibson uh, and I've, I've been lucky a couple times to you know put my hands on real 59s and stuff and mm -hmm. those pickups don't sound like what you think they do they're not rock and roll machines mm -hmm. you know um they're not high output. They're, they're low output. They're real chimey. They clean up really well. And they're very clear sounding. They are. Open, you know, all those things. And so, um, and to me, I, I just love, I love that. And But that has, man, there's, there's so many variations. That kind of stuff depends on where guys like to set their amps, how they use their pedals. I, I understand. I would never, in anything guitar related, I would never say, this is the way. You know, because there's... Plenty of, of, of great sounds. And I actually do have a couple guitars that I specifically have really hot pickups in for certain purposes, you know, where like I... What would that be? Well, if I get called, you know, occasionally I'll do stuff that's really, really hard rock, you know, board, you know borderline on what some guys would call metal these days. You know, the, now the genres are so, it's hard to, hard to right. say. But while you can gain up you know, a low output pickup and really crank it and get, I mean, killer classic rock sounds and stuff, particularly some of the newer modern rock and roll where guys are playing EMGs or even stuff like a Van Halen, you know, type of vibe. It's like, to me with my hands, it's not quite captured with a gained up low output pickup. Part of the magic is that high output pickup in that sound, you know, and it's part of the, you know, and you don't have to dig in. I mean, there's a certain effortlessness to the soloing and, and all the harmonic stuff you get, you know, if you're doing like, you know, I hate to say 80s, but like pinched dive bomb, that, that kind of stuff, man, that, those hot pickups are a part of that sound. So there's, there's definitely a, a place for those. And, you know, it's, it's a great thing for me. I think for, for the type of music that I'm playing 90% of the time, the low output stuff is always the way for me because they're, they're chimey, they're open. I can gain them up, you know, pretty heavily as needed. Um, but there is a thing to the, the hot output pickup, especially in certain guitars, man. You know, everyone needs a good old super strat, you know, with a hot pickup in the, in the bridge, you know, or something laying around. Well, cool. Let's, uh, let's take a little break and let's hear, uh, let's hear the 335 and we'll come back and talk about that guitar. Awesome. That's good. Mm -hmm. 
So that's a great sound in 335. What year is it? Yeah, so uh, this is a 1967, and um, it's, uh, it's all original except that it, um, this is a non-original Bigsby. That was, it must have been, uh, it was on there when I bought it, and it's an older Bigsby. Mm -hmm. So someone many moons ago decided to, to, to put that on there. Um, and uh, I do have the original bridge with the nylon saddles, uh, but I, I swapped those out for this Tone Pros bridge with these uh, the, the aluminum saddles. Um, Give it a little more more clarity in the got, low end. It's got a little more clarity, a little more tack. It's um, 
you know, we talked earlier, those, the nylon saddles tend to give, it's like there's a little more sag to the instrument, it's a softer thing. Sponginess. And the, to me, as opposed to a stop tail piece uh, guitar, you already get some of that with a Bigsby because it changes the string tension and everything. So I, I you know, I chose to kind of put this back on there, try to re retain a little bit of the snap um, to it. Uh, and then these are the, you know, the original, what we call, you know, um, uh, patent number pickups. Yeah, because you know? they got the patent sticker on there. Because they got the patent. Uh, and uh, good, good sounding pickups. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of went through it, uh, playing it. You know, they they're both good, both good output. Great, uh, you know, not too hot, but they're they're both clear, and it's a, been a good guitar. And and the Bigsby having the Bigsby makes me play it a certain way. You know, it's a, um, that's a thing with me. With almost any guitar that has a tremolo arm, there's just an instinctive thing about reaching back and grabbing it for me. That you know, I'm always. I, I, you'll never see me playing a tremolo guitar that's like that. You know, if it's a even if it's a Strat style trim or a Bigsby or whatever it is, there's something about it, my subconscious that knows it's there and wants to, you know, grab it and work Use it, it. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this has been a good guitar. Use this on a lot of records. Been a good guitar. Well, let's let's talk about your pedal board here. Okay. Uh, tell us tell us what's on here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is my you know my good my grab and go board um, that I had wired up here in town. Um, for sessions, uh, you know, I have a, I have a, a real, you know, uh, for things that where we have cartage here in Nashville, where for, that's where where people bring the gear for people you. People bring the gear for me. Sometimes on the bigger accounts, you know, major labels, and there's lots of money involved. They'll bring in a huge rig for me. You know, for people that don't know, and um, there's a m much larger pedal board. But the same guys that built that pedal board company here in town called Exact Tone Solution. Um, Barry and those guys over there do a lot of work for us. Very nice guys. Great dudes. Yeah. Um, they wired this pedal board for me, and just like they did the other one. And this, the concept was this. with this was just my board that I can grab and go. It's, it's on a, a pedal train size board. I think the PT2 or something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just a good average size board. It's got a little bit of everything on it, so I can just grab this and run in. Or if, if I go play a gig around town, this is the board I use. And, it's great you know, to do demo sessions with it and everything. Um, so start start from the beginning and yeah. just kind of tell us what's on there. So here I have a patch bay on the side here that the guys uh, Exact Tone put in for me, and it's a it's a buffer uh, in and out here on the side. What? It's not true bypass. I know. I know. Yeah. Right. I know. <laughs> but but believe it or not, and um, and I had them do a little thing here. Um, because occasionally, you know, I'll have a spare pedal that I want to throw in on the front. You oh, know. So it's got like an insert. Well, this one doesn't have the insert, but what they did do for me is there's a 9-volt barrel tap here. Oh, wonderful. So I can yeah. just set the pedal here, plug in, and then out into here, and then I have the, the power. So I don't have to carry 9-volts right. because right. my power supply is mounted underneath. Absolutely. Uh, now, my larger board does have a couple inserts, like you were mentioning, that are you know you can start, and that's definitely handy. But for this, just trying to keep it simple. So from there, um, they've got my um, my tuner is is on a, is isolated coming out of the the buffered thing. So mm -hmm. it's you know, and I I, I tune uh, I use my volume pedal a lot. So every board, every situation I have where a tuner is involved, it's always on and always getting signal. And I just mute it by pulling the volume pedal up. You know, sure. So it's always running. Uh, but from the buffer, I go. Um, RC booster um, to the uh, to the 
the mini foot fuzz here, this JHS mini foot fuzz, to the Winford Drive, um, to the Mostortion, I, I believe. I think that's the right order. And then, um, then, my, then I hit the volume pedal. And I keep, um, again, some, I did it this way because my father did it this way. And I, at the time, I just was like, oh, that's how you do it. I didn't, at the, you know, I was younger, started playing this way. But um, I like dirts before the volume pedal because that's all your noisy stuff. You know, and if you got a wah pedal, same way. It's like, and so if I have a you know a, an overdrive on or a fuzz pedal, uh, we talked earlier about fuzz pedals being kind of noisy. I can leave it on and not have to do the pedal dance, but it's before my but my, my volume pedal's up. It also in the recording situation means that I can click things on and off with my volume pedal up without hearing a click in the track. So right. for me, it's it's almost a measure of control having my pedals before there now obviously that does affect you know i know some guys like to adjust the level of dirt with their volume pedal and in that's the case they put it afterwards but this has always been the way i've always run pedal boards and it's always worked for me yeah. um now for the same reason i have delays and modulations uh after the the, the volume pedal because i don't want to kill delay trails mm -hmm. so when i'm doing swell type things if i'm trying to mimic a steel guitar or something I can pull the volume pedal back, but the delay trails still go. Right. So from my volume pedal, I hit this um, EQ, and um, so what do you use the EQ for? Well, various. You know, sometimes it's really great for a simple solo boost. Um, I definitely use it for that um, some, and this one's been modified where the um, the it's a slightly different EQ scheme than what's on the standard Boss uh, pedal. And uh, some of these frequencies tend to relate a little bit more to where the guitar lives. It's just kind of, it's kind of, this one's been specialized uh, for, for guitar. Um, but man, I'll do everything from, you know, I can use, uh, you know, use drastic cuts of the top and low to do like lo-fi settings. Sometimes it's more of like a gag premise. Um, Sometimes, you know, you simply want to add a little mid-range to a pedal you have on, you know, or whatever. Um, so it, it, it definitely, that's, the, that's a pedal for sure that, that has multi-uses, you know. That's on every one of my boards that I, you know, have. And, um, you know, you move so fast in sessions, um, and particularly demo sessions here in Nashville. And uh, if I... Uh, you know, this is essentially my what I would carry in on a demo session if I'm if I don't have cartridge. And if your combo amp is isolated from you far away, and you you know you switch guitars and you need a little low end, it's just an easy fix. Mm -hmm. You know, right here on the ground. You know, I don't have to go and t turn the knob on the amp. You certainly could, but sometimes it's just easier. There's not time. It's just a quicker route to get there. You know, or if I need to add a little top to something, or if I want to make a part real small, like we're talking about, like even if it's not lo-fi. You know, common misconception with guitar players and recording is, you know, not every sound can be this big sound. They, they just can't. There's not enough room for that stuff in the context of a mix. Um, every part you do can't be some, you know, huge thing. And sometimes when you're doing a little course part, you're doing a little thing for the verse, you've got to find the place it sits in there. And, man, the, the, a, a good EQ pedal, pedal, whether it's this or any other pedal, can be invaluable for just that. You know, you want to make this thing this little small thing and it goes right here and that's the you know, spot. So you talk about mix-ready sounds. Because if you give them all these big sounds, the mix guy's just going to thin out some of them. 
because there's not room for them, you know. So, uh, so yeah, that. And then um, uh, I think, so from this, I believe I go to the timeline first, and then the, this M9 is last. And... Um, is this a standard M9 or has it been anything? No, bigger? no, this is the standard M9. I know there's some mods going on out there uh, with the, with those things. Um, to be totally honest, I've just never been unhappy with, with the way mine sounds stock. I have a I'm a big believer in these pedals. I have a ton of them. They're on every board I have. I use them for all kinds of different things. Uh, just just a big fan of what they do. Um, and it's just so much firepower in one box you know they're you know great pedals see the timeline is mainly delays and then and then the m9 is doing all your like modulation and tremolo and and any oddball stuff yeah exactly and i will use there's a few delays in the m9 that i that i do it's not even that i prefer them to the timeline it's just they do a thing that the timeline doesn't do there's a particular modulation that i like that i use for a gag or something um and, uh, you know, they just do different things. And, you know, two delays can seem like overkill, uh, two, two delay units. But, again, in the spirit of moving fast, it's not uncommon that I have, um, you know, lots of, lots of things kind of ready to go when the track starts. You know, I might have um, a reverse delay queued up on my timeline that I'm going to kick in in a second verse. But then, you know... Uh, and I've got like a standard long delay that I'm using for the rest of the song, but then I might want to kick on slapback for a solo or something, you know, in the middle. And so it's like sometimes having all those things queued up or having the, you know, uh, again, especially in the context of demo sessions here in Nashville where we, you know, we're doing five songs in three hours most of the time. And so that's it's a, that's a lot of, that's a lot of I mean, work in three It's pretty hours. simple math, you know, 36 yeah. minutes from yeah. the time we hear the song from the first time to it being done, basically. And, um, wow. and so a lot of the, you know, boards for me, it's built around those concepts where, you, you know, you're trying to just, it's, it's a lot of firepower, as many options as I can get to quickly. That's what I love about the M9 is like I can have, you know, multiple reverbs kind of set, ready to go, you know, in, in a pinch, in a real quick thing. You know, I've got, I can do fast and slow tremolos. I can, you know, have, uh, you know, I can throw in the expression pedal and have a wog going on right there. And, you know, you can store all those things and, and cycle through. And it's just, it's just so fast, man. That's a, it's a lot of firepower for, for one box. And I think it sounds great. You know, I really do. I don't think I'm, I'm not to say that I'm sacrificing for the firepower, I think they, they're making great stuff. I think it, it sounds really good. I, I really love the reverbs on the M9, too. Love the, love the reverbs on a lot of those patches. Would you show us, maybe uh, get a couple, you know, different sounds that you might, you know, use with, with the 335, just kind of showing, you know, uh, some things you would do with, with your pedals? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, you know, one thing, especially with the, the Bigsby, um, being on this guitar is, um, to me, it makes it very suitable for, you know, what I kind of call vibey or you could say ethereal sounding guitar. So, you know, I have just kind of a simple digital delay armed on the, on the, the timeline that's, you know, tappable and just a middle of the road reverb setting on the, the uh, M9. And I'll play a minute and kind of switch through the pickups and you can kind of see, you know, hear some of the stuff that I might do with that sound. Um, you know, no, no dirt here on the floor. It's just the amp sound.
show us, you know, maybe how you use, you know, some of the, you know, the dirt, like because you've got, you've got the Winford, you got the Mustortion, you've got the RC, and this, this, you know, uh, the fuzz. The fuzz. Ball, yeah. So, so how do you use those? Well, so I'm, again, for for whatever reason, you know, uh, it's always worked. I hate to say, I hate to use the word philosophy, but it's always worked for me to use pedals, not necessarily in real extreme settings. Um, you know, um, so with overdrives, particularly for me, or distortions, you know, fuzzes, whatever, um, it's rare that you'll see one for me that's like really pegged out or like where there's a huge drastic change in the, the natural amp sound from the start. To me, that, that can be, in certain elements, that can be really beneficial in live settings if, if you have to depending on the music, if you have to really change, like, you know, in a hybrid part from a, a, a small clean sound to this huge thing, you know, I, I, I get it. Um, but for me, it's always, it's kind of a stair-step philosophy, you know, it's like a little, a little more, a little more. And um, it's not uncommon for me, um, particularly if I'm playing a solo, to have maybe three pedals stepped on, you know, especially, again, in demo, demo world, uh, you know, in records, uh, you know, if I've got the time... I love to, you know, switch and plug in my Marshall and like just turn up the Marshall and play like that. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, depending on the sound for a record, I'll, I'll even unplug from a pedal board and just, you know, use a clip-on tuner and plug right into an amp and dime it and let that be the solo sound, you know, or whatever. But we're moving quick. So, you know, yeah. you're trying to, trying to make it happen. So um, I'll go through and, and step on them. But basically, you know, the, the, the RC booster is, is always just a real, really, really mild setting. That's just if I just want to push the amp a little bit, just a hair. You know, sometimes you get to a chorus and you, you, want, you want the amp to hit a little harder, but you don't want to hit harder because, you know, you're trying to stay in tune. You don't want to bang your guitar. So sometimes I'll kick on RC just for those kind of elements, just to beef up. Or if I need to step out in a verse and I just... Just want a little bit more in the verse. I'll step on the RC booster, do that kind of thing, and then the the Mustortion and the Winford, in my opinion, are they're 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 basically set at about the same gain structure, but there's different you know EQ frequencies within these two pedals, and there's different there's different things that they kind of inherently have, and you know, uh, to me. The, the beauty of that's the beauty of different overdrives is those in the different characteristics um uh, again on demo session when i'm moving really quick i've got one amp you know i can do a rhythm part with with one guitar and one of these pedals on maybe and then you know really quickly switch nothing but the pedal and do another rhythm part, and it's not going to be the exact same tone. It's not going to get that phase-out thing where when you double, you know, it can almost get smaller. Those frequencies kind of line up together and fill the gaps in each other. Um, and then, like I said, yeah, for solos or real heavy stuff, it's not uncommon for me to step on two. Now, there's always exceptions. I'm not saying I never crank one, but it's the way yeah. it goes. I'll kind of step through each one and then maybe step through all of them. You can kind of hear the... Let me just make sure this is... And a fine uh, Peterson uh, Strobo stomp. Yeah, lo love the Peterson tuners. Um, this guy's been on here a while. I, ha I love the new versions too. I have the new classic stomp or whatever they call on one of my other board. Uh, they great tuners. Love love them. Um, so uh, yeah. So here's just the direct amp sound.
So that's kind of, you know, all three of those things. And then the fuzz is a real straight ahead. I'll show you that real quick. Very cool. Yeah, man. Tell us about this amp that you're playing through. Yeah, so uh, this is my favorite old Princeton. I have a few of these amps. Um, uh, Princeton Reverb 1968, I believe. It could be 67. I, I think I get confused. I think it's a 68. But, um, you know, uh, the, the guts of it are all original. The difference in this one, most people say, well, that's not a 68. It's not a drip edge baffle. But um, I replace... Uh, the speakers in these Princetons with 12-inch speakers. Um, and what 12's in there? This is a warehouse guitar speaker uh, Reaper 30. And uh, uh, I believe, uh, I, think, I think that's supposed to be their G12H-ish. You know, probably mm -hmm. may say that. Again, I'm not an endorser of the... I just, uh, yeah. I, I try a lot of different speakers. We talked earlier, speakers are an interesting thing because some speakers sound uh really great uh new and and then they lose a certain thing as they get told and then some speakers sound better the longer you wear them out so the speaker thing can be a very that's a rabbit hole anyone can go down like way down so does this sound better with a new speaker or with one that's worn in? <laughs> yeah exactly right that's the million dollar question i don't know honestly um i will say um I'm a big, big fan of uh, uh, the Eminence speakers. The Private Jack and the Red Coat line is a speaker that I kind of always come back to. You know, I try, I try other things, but uh, that was in this amp for a long time, and I just love the way those speakers sound. Um, really, really good sounding 12-inch um, speaker. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, for me, uh, you know, it's like we all have our own versions of like iconic guitar sounds. You know, we all have the things that we, you know, and um, for whatever reason, Princeton amps, you know, with the 10 or the 12, for me, were just, it was one of those amps I identified with immediately. And, you know, I plugged it in and was like, oh, this is like, this is what I've been hearing in my head. You know, this is the thing. And, um, you know, they sound great, cranked. You know, they get a great, like, rock guitar sound if you, you know, pe peg them. And the the onboard, the reverb in there and the tremolo is, like, some of my favorite to this day, you know. And it's uh, definitely a desert island amp for me. So why would you put a 12 in a Princeton instead of using a deluxe reverb? Uh, yeah, great question. Okay, yeah, so, well... First and foremost, you know, even with a 12-inch speaker in the Princeton, the Deluxe is still going to be louder, just is. And um, to me, there's just a magic in the breakup point of Princeton reverbs, particularly. Now, because uh, on a side note, and Princeton amps, for those that might not know, the non-reverb version are a completely different animal. Yes. Because they're missing the reverb stage and the, the gain structure. They're actually a lot cleaner. 
They get louder they and get they have lo- more headroom. They get louder, they have more headroom. Um, and that's actually, you know, for you know Tom Petty and Mike Campbell fans, that's actually truly the Mike Campbell amp. It's the non-reverb. It's just the, the Princeton amps, mm-hmm. similar to a deluxe reverb versus a deluxe amp, and you know that. Right. But um, there's something about the gain staging of a Princeton reverb and the, the breakup point in the amp with my, you know, again, with my kind of low output pickups and the way I touch that's just always worked better and, and even better than a deluxe. It's just, it's not the same animal to me. So the reason I put... 12-inch speakers in there is just because the bottom is a little bit tighter. It's not even a loudness thing. It's that, to my ear, the the bottom stays a little rounder and a little tighter than the 10-inch speakers. I have, I keep one of my Princeton's original with the 10-inch in there for that sound. If I'm kind of specifically, you know, it can be great for, you know, lo-fi records, blues, you know, records when you're not necessarily concerned about being modern. You know, if you're making period type records, Mm -hmm. they're really great. It's great sound for that, and it's a great bedroom amp too. You know, the tent sounds awesome. You know, they're great, but um, the twelve is a little more pleasant for me to stand in front of. You know, I mentioned earlier, this is my gigging amp too. This is the amp I take with me. It's always in my car, like ready to go. And um, uh, yeah, but but the twelve inch thing is just a, a way more um, pleasant thing. Uh, you know, and that's been the twelve-inch speaker in the amp has been, you know, in the, the the Princeton's has been a you know widely attributed to many people. I don't know who was like the first guy to start doing it, but I remember vividly seeing Steve Warner play one with a G with a, a greenback stuck in it at the Opry one time, and I remember thinking like, man, that's pretty cool. Like, well, man, what? A, you know, and I'm a big Steve Warner fan, and uh, his son Ryan and I are good friends, and, and, and uh, I remember asking Ryan about it, and he was like, oh, yeah, man, everybody does that. You know, you need, you need to do that. And I was like, oh, that's when I, you know, I started doing that, and I fell in love with the amp even more. And then I was like, oh, well, now well, now I can play, like, rock stuff through it, too, you know, because the bottom end stays a little more thing, you know. Right. Um, but, yeah, they definitely Desert Island amps for me are, are, are Princeton, Princeton reverbs. Uh, it's just... Um, a great Swiss Army knife of an amp. They do so many things. They can do the. I mean, I played three guitars through them in this thing, and you know, haven't touched the knobs at all on the amp between the three guitars, and they they respond great to all the different instruments, and they you know um, throw throw a lot of bottom for a small little amp. It's just I can't say enough good things about Prince Reverbs. Love them. Well, cool. Yeah. Well, Derek, this has been a, a real pleasure, and yeah. thank you for oh, coming man. down. Thank you for having me so much, yes. man. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Yeah. This has been an audio presentation by TrueTone, truetone.com.